You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. I trust you know how blessed you are with your pastor, his family, and his leadership team. It's amazing to see what God is doing in one of my favorite places on earth, West Michigan. I love it. It's, my father was born in Grand Haven. I only lived a couple years in Michigan, but we always love coming back in the summer to see you. You can have your winners all you want. <laughs> it is so great to be with you today. Laura and I, we've been missionaries for nearly 20 years, and for most of those years, we have spent our time working in over 80 wars and disasters. We've lived and worked in some of the toughest places on earth, uh, coordinating life-saving humanitarian missions, coming alongside of people in their time of need, and we've helped establish churches in some really tough places, and we've seen God do amazing things, and you've played a part by supporting us for, I would say, over 15 years, and so thank you so much. Uh, I'm a subject matter expert in something called humanitarian diplomacy. My PhD is in international law. I'm an expert in negotiating in times of war and disaster, convincing armed groups, terrorist organizations, or governments to allow aid to flow to help people in times of disasters. I get to meet some very interesting people, get involved in negotiations, at times also the release of, of aid workers who've been kidnapped or missionaries. It's never boring, and I love to negotiate, but I say when I come home to my two ladies, I lose every negotiation at home. It's so fun that they're here as well. We are only in the States for a total of four weeks, and on Tuesday, we fly back home to Germany. Germany is our base of operations. I moved to Germany as a missionary kid 40 years ago. In 1983, my parents left Michigan, and uh, we moved to Germany. My parents are church planners, and we also are church planners in German-speaking Europe, a pastor church that we planted in Austria. We're also planning a church with my dad in the country of Liechtenstein, another German-speaking country just across the border from Austria. So our life is extremely boring. We have nothing to do. I think if I could sum up my 20 years of serving Jesus in some of the toughest places on earth, I would say the following. God makes everything new. God takes the rubble of people's lives. God intervenes in the most hopeless situations and he doesn't just improve things. He makes all things new. And my prayer is that you, if you haven't, that you will experience what happens when God intervenes in your time of need because God makes everything new. This morning, I want to draw your attention to a passage in Scripture that I've been reflecting on these last few days in Psalm chapter 119, Psalm 119, starting in verse 161. I just want to share with you a few thoughts. Here we have a psalmist. We don't know if it's David or Solomon or someone else, an unnamed author telling a bit of his story, and we read in verse 161 following, rulers persecute me without cause. Rulers persecute me without cause. The author here is on the run for his life. He is being chased. He's being followed. He's being persecuted by rulers. These rulers in Hebrew are the sarim. It means the princes. These are the men of power, men of authority, those of influence who can choose if you will live or die. These people have all the power and all the men they need, all the weapons to get after this lone man, this psalmist who is on the run. Rulers persecute me without 
outcasts. I've sat across from these rulers. I've looked into their eyes in times of negotiations. And Laura and I, we've seen the effects of what evil rulers can decide and what they do. I always say some of the hardest things in my line of work is to, to see the evil, barbaric creativity of humans who constantly find new and improved ways to hurt people. We see the deaths. We see the suffering. We see the corruption. We see people on the run for their lives. We see evil rulers persecuting without cause. And they find new ways to do it. And around the world, people are suffering. Recently in the Middle East, we were distributing food to people, Muslims and Christians in the Middle East, who are facing incredible challenges. Uh, flow, food is not flowing because of the war against the Ukraine. In all places in the Middle East, they depend on wheat and grains from the Ukraine and from Russia. People are living off less, less than $1 a day, and they're not able to afford the basic commodities. And so we come along, churches and ministries, and we distribute food to Christians and Muslims. Muslims alike, and just to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And this day, a couple weeks ago, we gave people three months' worth of food. At the end of the day, I was invited back to the ministry center in this slum in this large city, and uh, I had the best meal I've ever had in the Middle East. It was delicious. I'm a skinny guy, but I can put away a lot of food if it tastes good. <laughs> but it was delicious, and I finally asked, who made this food? They said, well, we'll send you the cook. So this young lady came, and we started talking to her, and I complimented her, and we started talking, and she told me her story. She grew up Muslim. She was forced into a marriage several years ago. And a couple months ago, when I had been in, in, in the Middle East before, our ministry had distributed some food again. And she was one of the Muslim recipients at a mosque that we had visited. And she received the food, made contact with some of her neighbors who were believers, and they led her to the Lord, and she became a believer. But then she went home. She went home and told her husband that she met Jesus and that he transformed her life, and he began to beat her. He said, I don't need you anymore. He dragged her by the hair and dragged her through the street and dropped her off in front of her parents' house and said, I don't want her. I divorce her. She is garbage. And this woman was left destitute. Then she was beaten and abandoned by her family. Her Christian neighbors brought her in. They took her to the ministry center. They helped her get healthy and strong again. And she's been discipled. And now she wants to serve the Lord as a minister of the gospel. And she told me, Mike, although I've experienced persecution, although I've witnessed evil on the hands of people who can decide my fate, I've experienced what happens when God intervenes. I have hope. And my life has never been better. I love Jesus. And for the rest of my life, I will proclaim that he is my ruler. Despite persecution, we see God who can ultimately do impossible things. But there are moments when I am confronted with evil. There's moments perhaps when you are confronted with suffering that we feel overwhelmed. I hear this over and over again when I tell people what I do. The standard response is, Mike, I can't even turn the news on anymore. I look away. I, I, I don't want to even be exposed to all the evil and the killing around the world. That's often the attitude, isn't it? When we, when we face challenges, often even our own homes, when we face financial challenges or our marriage is not working out so well, we, we, we kind of pull away and we live in our grief, we live in our fear, and we begin to feel so intimidated. I'm sure there's some people who woke up this morning with anxiety. Some of you could not sleep because of anxiety. There's moments when we feel like we tremble. 
One of my first assignments, I was sent to Central Africa during the genocide that in a matter of 100 days killed 300,000 people. It was barbaric, and when I arrived just to see the mass graves and the, the empty villages, the empty homes, it was incredible. And like in every war, one of the things that happens, the fields are either destroyed or farmers are not able to bring in the harvest. And so famine always follows war. In fact, many of the places I go to, famine is a weapon of war to starve the civilian population. In the Central African Republic and Burundi and Rwanda, we witnessed it. And so we began to distribute. We, I never had distributed this, I think, 20 plus thousand goats and chickens to farmers. We, we brought more seeds so people could plant in their fields. And we gave food to tens of thousands of people every day. Then every day we would invite them to come to crusades, times where we could share the gospel. And I was standing on the stage in the soccer stadium. The music began to play. This beautiful African choir was singing this awesome hymn. When I noticed a group of men who entered the stadium, they didn't look very friendly. They didn't look very happy. And so I turned to my translator and said, hey, who are these guys? Why are they carrying weapons? He goes, oh, you don't want to know. Let's just keep on singing, Mike. I said, no, I really want to know. He said, well, Mike, we, we call them the butchers. They go out at night and they do the killing, the avenging. They wipe out villages. These are the most evil men in our country. Now, I've had some tough crowds as a preacher. Man, I've had people fall asleep while I spent. My own father once fell asleep while I preached, right? I've had tough crowds in my life. But, man, when you are face-to-face -face with people who make a living from killing, it's really scary, <laughs> So I thought, should I change my message? But I began to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that God can make everything new, that God can forgive everyone, that God can transform lives. And I began to preach from Philippians chapter 2 that says, at the name of Jesus, someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And I looked at these young men and I said, today you are the ruler who persecutes. Today you're the, the man who can choose who will live and who will die but someday you will confront the ultimate ruler, the giver of life, the ultimate sustainer and sovereign God. And today, turn away from your killing and turn to Jesus. Stop the persecution and turn to your Savior. I'll never forget that it was many years ago, but these men, they didn't just walk, they ran. They threw their weapons and came forward and experienced the transforming mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We read, rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. This man on the run, this man who is intimidated, is not going to be trembling in front of rulers. He will not get anxiety or panic attacks because of his living conditions. This man says his heart trembles at God's word. And why? Because when God speaks, everything changes. When God speaks into your life, he transforms everything. In your storm, God can speak peace. In your sickness, he can speak healing. In your marriage, although I might not see there's any hope, God can speak in reconciliation and healing. I've seen it over and over again. I don't tremble at evil men. I don't tremble when I turn on the news. I can face the reality as tough as it is because I believe in any single moment, God can speak and change everything. The psalmist continues, Psalm 119, verse 162. I rejoice in your promise, 
like one who finds great spoil. You might think this man is sick in the head. Maybe he got hit by these guys because why would you rejoice while you're on the run? Why would you rejoice when you are facing death? Why would you rejoice when you're facing persecution and hardship? But this man is not rejoicing in his circumstances, but despite his circumstances, he's clinging onto what? God's promise. He says, I rejoice in your promises. You see, in times of hopelessness, in times where people break their word, when people don't keep their promises, when you feel abandoned, when you can't trust anything or anyone, you can't even trust your own emotions, you can trust and hold on to the promises of God. We return to his word. The reason we are trembling in front of God's word because this is the living and active word of God and it's full of promises. You can read in Deuteronomy where God speaks to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the psalmist on the run can rejoice in his conflict, in his fear because the promise of God is that God is sovereign and he's in control, although it doesn't always feel like it been traveling quite a bit in 2016 was an extremely busy ministry year coming and going and I was in the Netherlands I was teaching to actually some Arab students who were becoming diplomats in the Arab world and I got to teach about my subject of humanitarian diplomacy got to talk to them about Jesus as well I was on my way uh, to fly to Brussels we had some new team members come to Europe and I was supposed to fly to Brussels and welcome them uh, in March in 2016 at the Starbucks in the departure hall uh, at this corner table at Starbucks. So there is this table in Starbucks at the Brussels airport. It's my office when I'm there. You can use it any other time, but when I show up, it is my, it is my table. I don't share it. So that's where my meetings are always at Brussels, and the meeting was set for 9.30. I was boarding my, I was about to fly from Amsterdam to Brussels for this meeting when my wife called and she had never done this to me before, but she said, Mike, cancel your flight and come home. Your family needs you. Married over 20 years, I'm the most compliant husband that you have ever met. So regardless of the cost, I was bickering a bit. I canceled my flight, canceled my appointments and flew from uh, Amsterdam to Frankfurt. While I was in the air at 9.30, terrorist came to the Brussels airport at the Starbucks and the table next to me they had placed a bomb in a backpack the bomb went off shortly after 9 30 over 40 people died that day and as I saw the news I just held on to the promise of God but although I don't know my ways, although I don't understand everything, I know one thing. As long as God wants you to walk on this earth, regardless if it's easy or if it's hard, if you're sick and clinging on to life, as long as God chooses in his sovereignty to have you on this earth, you can hold on to the promise that God will rescue you from all evil, God will deliver you from all evil, and God will change the course of history for you in order for you to experience his salvation. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. Here's a man on the run. He doesn't have a lot, but he rejoices in God's promises, and he believes he is the richest man on earth. I guarantee you, when you learn to rejoice in your poverty, 
When you learn to rejoice when you have nothing. When you learn to rejoice in your anxiety, in your depression. When you learn to rejoice throughout your bankruptcy, you will feel like the richest person on God because you will experience the rescuing power of a God who keeps all his promises. Psalm 119 verse 163. Man writes, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Perhaps it was a lie that caused this persecution. We don't know, but here the psalmist says, I hate misinformation. We see this world. I've seen wars caused because of um, false flag operations. I've seen wars started because of rumors and lies. We live in a world of misinformation. But let's face it, you and I are guilty of lying too. And who, who do you and I lie to the most? Ourselves. Many of us begin our days with fake news campaigns, with misinformation campaigns. We tell ourselves, this day is going to be disaster. Today, another day for me to fail. Nothing will work out today. So many of us look ourselves in the mirror and said, you are nothing. We often begin the day by speaking this new reality into our lives of misinformation. And so many times, like the psalmist, it happens especially when things don't go our way. When we face opposition, when we face disappointment, we speak lies into our own lives. I'm guilty of that myself. Remember the time when I was so overwhelmed by the suffering I had witnessed, when I was just so tired of seeing, seeing the results of lies. But I always was able to return to God's Word because God word is the, God's Word is the filter in times of lies. And God's Word spoke to me in Psalm 71. Though you made me see many bitter things, you'll restore my life again. When a car bomb exploded and everyone could have written me off as Mike's life is over, God's word spoke the truth in Proverbs 3. Don't be afraid of sudden terror, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep you from falling. When the government official had his hand, a finger on the trigger, the gun at my head, and life was supposed to happen over for Mike Clark, God's word speaks the truth. Who can separate me from from the love of God, nothing. When Al-Qaeda was chasing us, they knew exactly where we were, but God always kept them just a bit in the dark and is always one step ahead. God's word spoke to us the truth. My Lord is a feared warrior, therefore my pursuers will stumble. They will never overcome me. Friend, in times of suffering, in times when you are beginning to tell you things about yourself and life that are not true, return to God's word because his word will tell you the reality, his right righteous law will show you the mirror of who you really are, a child of God, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. This man on the run, he's restless, looking over his shoulder, and he writes following in verse 165, great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I've seen it over and over again in my own life. In the biggest storms, when God's word speaks, when God intervenes, you will experience a peace. Not just some kind of a ceasefire peace, which is temporary. No, it is a lasting, transformative peace. And one of the men that we've been able to accompany is a man named Rene in our church plant in Austria. A wonderful man who experienced peace Although the first 39 years of his life, he told us, he felt like he was constantly on the run and he could never relax. He did not know peace until he was in his late 30s. 
Let's watch his video. Hello, my name is René. I live in the city of Bregenz on Lake Constance. I'm 42 years old and my hobbies are cycling and swimming. I also enjoy hiking in the nearby mountains with my friends. My favorite food is schnitzel. It's always been my dream to travel to Israel and to discover the world more. Today, I would like to tell you the story of my spiritual journey. I was two or three when I was placed in a local children's home. My father was sent to prison, my mother lost her parental rights because she was a prostitute. So my home became the orphanage. At the orphanage I was placed in a group that was cared for by a Christian foster care couple. This group became my family and this is where I spent the first few years of my life. I remember being in school asking myself, why don't I have a mom? Why don't I have dad? What I missed was the love, comfort and sense of security that only parents can give. It was especially hard for me when other classmates brought their parents to school. When I would see happy families on the street, I would ask myself, why do I have to be in an orphanage? When I was nine years old, my life would change forever. My mother had gone missing, and one month later they found her body. She had been murdered. That's when my world collapsed. That's when I withdrew from everything and everyone. I remember asking the same question over and over again, why? Why did this happen? I learned about Jesus through the foster care family that took care of me. They took me to church and told me about God before bedtimes. So, as a kid, was exposed to matters of faith. But I didn't understand that you could have a personal relationship with God. But he was with me. I remember shortly before my mother was murdered that I asked God for his help. As I look back, it's evident that God was always with me and that he led me through those dark childhood years. As a teenager, I lost my way in life. When I was 14, I was placed in another group at the orphanage. That's when I discovered freedom to make my own decisions. I had just started my apprenticeship when I smoked my first joint. It didn't take long and I was addicted to hard drugs. Drugs gave me what I had always craved, freedom from my thoughts and memories. It's between experimenting with different drugs, I was constantly high on weed. God was completely off my radar. I quit my apprenticeship and sank deeper and deeper into a life of drugs and began committing crimes to finance my drug habit. 
In 2017, when my drug habit was getting out of hand, I was invited to a church service about 20 miles away from my hometown of Bregenz. That's when I sensed God was calling me home. God freed me completely from my drug addiction and I was baptized. Then I found out that a new church had been planted near my apartment in Bregenz. I knew I needed a local church home but was a bit apprehensive to go there. Then someone handed me an invitation on the street and I really wrestled whether or not I should go. Then one Sunday I told God you are going with me to this new church plant and it was wonderful. Right away I met such kind people. Right away I felt like I found my home, I got plugged into church life, began to surf on the cleaning and media teams, church gave me the stability I never had. What I love about God is how patient he has been with me. I am so amazed that I have constant access to him, that he is always with me and how he has answered so many of my prayers. He is a God of second chances and he always helps you get back on your feet again. You have played a key role in Renee's story because you sent us to Bregenz. Your partnership enables us to continue our mission that has lasted nearly 20 years, planning churches in German-speaking Europe and serving in wars and disasters worldwide. On behalf of thousands of Renees around the world, thank you and may the Lord of the Harvest richly bless you. On Thursday, we'll be back in Austria and I'll be playing the extended version of this testimony in German to about 40, 50 police chiefs and police officers, several of them who investigated the murder of Rene's uh, mother and also those who, in, who threw his father in prison. Rene is also going to be sharing, and we'll be sharing with Austrian, Swiss, and German police officers about the hope of Jesus Christ. So pray that God would use this young man, Rene. A man and his family were well-known in this part of Austria. Because Rene said, hey, I want to tell the true story. The story did not end with my mom. The story didn't end with my dad. The story ends when the people hear that God can transform everything. And God is a God, as he said, of second chances. And it's amazing to see Rene at peace in Jesus Christ. Verse 166. The psalmist writes, I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I follow your commands. Isn't that interesting? A man on the run, a man who's got to look over his shoulders, a man who might not have long to live, he says he waits. He waits. You know, in our culture, we want to kind of fight and keep on going. Maybe if I work a little harder, maybe if I change the way I live, maybe if I suck it up, maybe if I pull myself up at my bootstraps, maybe if I just find a little more creativity and energy, I can fix my own problems. You see, the psalmist is at a point in his life where he cannot help himself anymore. He cannot run anymore. He doesn't have the energy to keep on going, and so he waits. Perhaps you are in that situation of just saying, hey, I got to give up. I've tried everything in my own strength, and it's not working out. I guarantee you that's the best place to be when you are on the run is to learn to wait for God's salvation. 
People say it's kind of a cliche saying, but it's true. God isn't always early, but he's on time. But I know in my own life, when you have to wait for rescue, when you're in a dangerous or hopeless situation, that waiting can feel like an eternity. But I guarantee you, salvation is just around the corner. We've been told about the forgotten people, the, the Sahrawi people. We were told that we would find them in North Africa and the Sahara Desert. They were known as the forgotten people. They had fled a war. They were surrounded not only by the desert, but by the world's longest landmine wall. They could not escape the desert. And they were waiting there for salvation. We were told this unreached people group was hopeless. And so we traveled there. We had negotiated with senators and other officials around the world to get access to this part of the world. And it was one of the roughest landing I ever had. I, you never know when you're in the back of a plane what really happens. The pilot simply said, there's some RPGs. But again, I find it rude that people would shoot at me. I'm a nice guy. Come on. Unbelievable. But we landed, and we'd found the forgotten people. I saw the desperation. I'll never forget seeing children so hungry that they told us their favorite game was pretending to eat. You'd see them walking through the refugee camps just chewing on pieces of rope. We saw the, just the hopelessness, and we set up a supply chain to bring food and water and medical assistance to this people group had never heard the love of Christ. And while we were waiting for the physical help to arrive, we just went from tent to tent and experienced wonderful hospitality. People would welcome you into the tent. The first thing that they did, these are poor people who have nothing. You walk into the tent, and the way they welcome you, they spray you with perfume. Don't be offended. It doesn't mean because you stink. It's just a way of anointing. It's a polite way. And so I wore ladies' perfume for about several weeks. Smelled great. Didn't have to shower. It just sprayed me some more. They served us cups of hot tea. It's 140 degrees in the desert, and you've got to be polite. I hate tea. I had to sip tea. But we became friends, and we would tell people the wonderful story of Jesus. They were so interested to hear about faith and God and his plan for humanity. We laid hands on the sick. Every place we visited, every home, people showered us with love. They gave us of their meager rations, and they all wanted to hear more about Jesus and allowed us to lay hands on them. At the end of our visit, as the aid was arriving, I was dragged into the back of a pickup truck. And in the middle of the night, and they drove us off and me into the desert. Now, you've seen the movie on Netflix. It usually doesn't end very well when someone in Al-Qaeda territory is thrown in the back of the pickup truck. And it's a bumpy ride. you got a lot of time to think about it. And at the end, I arrive at this camp, this facility. Let's just face it. It was some kind of a training facility for armed people who weren't official. Some mean guys. I don't know if it was Al-Qaeda or whatever. And I was taken to this, this office and had to wait on this guy. He finally came in. He wasn't very polite. In this part of the world, people usually, although they might want to kill you, at least they say like, salam alaikum, you know, peace upon you, or wish you a wonderful good morning before they kill you. But this guy just sat down, pointed his big old finger at me and said, why are you here? The model missionary that I am, I decided to tell the truth. And I said, sir, you know, you'll go online. It's not going to take you very long to read about me. I'm... I'm a diplomat. The fact that I'm an ambassador, and I've been sent from the King of Kings, from God. 
And as a diplomat, my job is simply to deliver a message. I don't write policy. I don't change the rules. I'm just delivering the most important message the forgotten people will ever, will ever hear and need to hear. You can read this message. It's been pre-written by God. You'll see it in Psalm chapter 9. And God speaks to every forgotten person around the world following. The needy will not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor will not perish forever. Sir, you might feel like you and your people have been forgotten. You feel like your hope is about to expire. But God is speaking right now, and he has a plan for the Sahrawi people. And we are simply here to meet the physical and the spiritual needs of your people. Got really quiet in that, in that room. In fact, with the exception of the ceiling fan wheezing under the oppressive heat of the desert, it was completely quiet. But suddenly the man jumped up. He, he ran around the desk, grabbed me by the arm and said, Mike, so help me Allah, if you come and you help my people, you can do and you can say whatever you like. And so we did that. We met the physical needs. But then we also began to establish the church. A church was planted. A physical church was built. The Sahrawi began to follow Jesus. The Sahrawi themselves are becoming missionaries. We're seeing God do incredible things. You see, Proverbs says, the gift opens the door for the giver. And I've seen it over and over again. And I guarantee you, you will experience it with your ministry campaign this fall as well. When you come to your neighbors and you meet the needs of your neighbors. If they're known or unknown, if they're physical needs, if it's just a courtesy gift. When you come alongside of people and you bring them a gift, it opens their spiritual heart. And they want to hear more. The gift opens the, go uh, the, the, the heart by giving. And we see it happen over and over again. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I follow your commands. What is this person doing? He's on the run. He can't run anymore. He waits for God's salvation, and we see, I follow your commands. You'll read in Psalm 119 the following, God's word is a lamp unto your path. Well, you have to understand, though, in this time, this was a time before flashlights, before spotlights. You couldn't have a light that could shine hundreds of feet in advance. We were talking about the Word of God being an oil lamp. You see, many times as we follow Jesus in our hardship, that oil lamp, His Word, can only illuminate the next step. And the next step. And so many times as we are suffering, when we're waiting for rescue, when we're waiting for deliverance, when we're waiting for answers in our lives, we expect that God shows up with a spotlight and illuminates the next 35 years of our lives. Where will I live? Who will I marry? How will my kids look like? How will my career turn out? How will my spiritual life look like? How will my life in heaven look like? We expect that God just flashes a spotlight in our lives. But so many times in our suffering, in our hardship, God does come, but he simply illuminates the next step. Because I want, he wants us to continue to trust him. So I want to encourage you today, do not give up. Wait for salvation and allow God's word to show you what's up for the next hour, for the next day. You don't have to worry about the plan for the rest of your week, the rest of your life. Just be faithful in serving God in the next hour, the next few hours. And in closing, 
The psalmist writes in Psalm 167, I obey your statutes for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes for all my ways are known to you. You might not know your ways. You might not know your future. You might not know what the next step is. But God knows. In closing, just one really quick story. We, as church planners, often also don't know what the next step is. We just want to say, God, we will do what we know now. And it was during the pandemic, people like Renee and I were sitting around, and we got this burden to go from the city of Bregenz to a mountain region called the Bregenz Vault, the Bregenz Forest. It's a mountain region that you have to go through a tunnel. If you don't like snow, don't go there. The heart of the highest village, Damuts, in the Bregenz Wald gets about 30 feet of snow yeah you think you have it hard but we had this feeling we need to plant a church in this region where I don't know 30,000 people live most have never heard the gospel there is no church and so we made contact and this farmer family who have an organic goat farm don't like goat meat but I love this farm and they they, they invited us to have a church meeting in their over 500 year old um, farmhouse. It's a, that's an old house. Imagine remodeling that over 500 years old. And we were in this, this living room and we had about 20 people at our first church service. And there I proclaimed the gospel probably for the first time in, in a very, very long time. And people heard the gospel. One young man actually followed Jesus after that, that service. And we just continued to see a small group grow in that time. But you see, what we didn't know is that we weren't the first missionaries in that village. 500 years ago, 496 years to be exact, a missionary had traveled over a thousand miles through the mountains. Imagine back then traveling that far. He was an Anabaptist missionary convinced that this mountain region people had to hear the gospel. And he began to plant a church, proclaim the gospel, gathered a small group of believers together. And they even started the very first school in the entire mountain region where kids could learn how to read and write. But this church didn't last long. In fact, after a couple months, persecution broke out. The Christians were driven away from their homes. As many were killed, others left to all across you know, Europe. Some fled even as far as North America. The church, after a few months, was eradicated, destroyed. The blood of Christians was spilled, and really the church was forgotten. Little did we know that the very building that we had started our new church in was the school, the classroom, and the sanctuary of that missionary who had started the work 500 years before we ever thought about it. So now we get to see God doing something faithful. We are standing on the shoulders of giants, and we get to look back and say, God is the God of the history. God is a God of history. He, he sees all of it in one line. He is sovereign. And although we might not know our ways, we might not understand the next step. As long as you and I are faithful in our hardship, in our doubting, in our sickness, as long as we are willing just to take that next step, our God the Savior, the God who keeps his promises, will come to the rescue and he will deliver you from all evil. Dear friends, thank you for your support, for standing with us. I want to encourage you. Do not give up. Your God will come at the right time, and he will deliver you. Amen. Amen. Amen.
I'm going to ask that you stand as we close today. I want us to all feel the weight that we are all called to be missionaries. Not just the Clark family. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're called to be a light, to make a difference, to bring the gospel here on the lakeshore, to our family, to our friends, even to our enemies. The Lord wants to empower us. He wants us to bring a word of truth. He wants us to be love. To, and, he, and then what's great is we get to partner with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the heavy lifting. He's the one that sprinkles the supernatural. He's the one that saves. But we're the ones that are the conduit. And I want to just pray for us that no matter what we're facing, God is with us. But let's think of those that we're going to rub shoulders with this week that need Jesus. This fall, God is going to put people in your life uh, in the next couple weeks with Go Serve that you're going to be able to bless. Invite them to church. Tell them your story. We, again, we want to see these seats filled, both services. With God's help, it's going to happen. I want to pray for you as we're commissioned before we leave. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word and for the truth that we are all called to go and to make disciples, to be a light. Lord, choose us. Don't pass us by in this season. Give us opportunities to be a light. And I pray that we would be the love, that we would bring a word of truth in Holy Spirit, that you would sprinkle it with the supernatural for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name. And before we leave, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, we want to offer you the free gift of salvation. Maybe you don't even know why you're here today. Maybe you're here and you're saying, boy, what is all this about? The reason we're here and we're gathered is because Jesus has changed our lives. He has saved us. He's taken away our sins. It's a gift that there's not one person here that deserves it, but it's free. And we want to offer it to you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're saying, man, I need that gift. I need a Savior. Would you just lift your hand? First service, there was one. Is there anyone? Second service, that would just lift your hand. Yes, I see that hand in the middle section. There, thank you. Who else? Just lift your hand so we can pray and just believe with you. Anyone else? If you're online and you're still tracking with us, just put in there, I need Jesus. We will follow up with you every single time. And for the sake of the one, I want to just lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would save us. We believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross and that we can accept you as our Lord and Savior by confessing our sin 
you are faithful and just to forgive us according to your word. And Lord, we hang on to that truth today in Jesus' name. And now as we go, I pray that we would go in the grace of God. Lord, that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. We love you so much. God bless you. I know we got to get connected after, and that'll take a few minutes to set up uh, for several of you. But go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.